Have you checked out the PTSD Wives Handbook? This book is for the wife whose spouse has survived trauma and is now navigating through mood swings, flashbacks, and mishandled emotions. PTSD can create a toxic home environment and cause a divide in the closest and most meaningful relationships. As a caretaker, the PTSD wife is finding herself at the receiving end of anger, aggression, and constant negativity. This can create a personal, mental, and spiritual health crisis for her. In this book, Coach Leah uncovers the hidden wounds of trauma and the effects that it can have on your relationship. Based on biblical principles, she teaches you the tools and resources that are needed to handle stressful situations and to seek help from the Lord and foster a deeper relationship with Him. By reading this book and putting the principles into action, you're going to learn how to take control of your life and grab hold of the power that lies within. Grab your copy of the PTSD Wives Handbook today by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. We're talking all things grief today. Come on in, y'all. Class is in session. Let's talk about it. My name is Leah Huggins. I'm a wife, a mother, and a proud U.S. Navy veteran. After two tours to Iraq, my husband was diagnosed with PTSD. My world spiraled out of control as fear, anxiety, doubt, and depression took over. I gave my life to Christ, took on a new mindset, and let go of the negativity of my past. I now help wives to find healing, encouragement, and strategy to overcome the effects of PTSD on their daily lives and in their marriage. So come on in and let's talk about it. Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. This is the place where we empower women to support their spouse and each other through PTSD without losing themselves in the process. I'm your host, Coach Leah. I'm so glad you joined us today. Well, you know what? I know we're off to a late start, but Happy New Year! <laughs> How's your new year going so far? I hope you're doing well and prospering in this new year. Um, you know, my new year is off to a rough start, okay? But in the words of a good friend of mine, you know, life be lifing, but God be Godin, okay? <laughs> so I definitely got to give him glory for the things that he has brought me through and for definitely holding my hand and keeping me along the way. Now, having said that, did you guys make resolutions this year? You know, I'm not really a resolution type of girl. You know, usually I start the new year by looking at the end of the last year and asking myself, what lessons have I learned? You know, 2023 taught me a lot. OK, I would say that at the top of that list, what I learned was that I needed to pay more attention to myself and take better care of me. You know, I needed to be more mindful of the conversations that I was having with myself and how I'm treating myself and really ask myself and consider if I'm valuing me. Am I valuing my health and my overall wellness? And am I valuing that over the needs of everything on the outside? What do I mean by that? Well, if I'm giving myself to everybody else and putting their needs above my own and I'm not taking care of my own needs, especially my basic needs like sleep and nutrition and exercise, if I'm not pouring into myself as much as I'm pouring into everybody else, then that means that I'm valuing everybody else and their needs above my own. 
I saw this video last year where this pastor was performing a marriage ceremony for this couple, right? And he goes into this speech where he gives them both wisdom about what they both need to provide for the other in order to have a successful marriage. And he told the man what a woman needs to feel secure in the marriage. And he told the woman what a man needs to feel secure in the marriage. And one of the things that he said really stuck out to me. He told the women that what the man needed above all was that she take care of herself. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the best advice I have ever heard. <laughs> OK, it actually spoke to the situation that I was in in that moment. OK, so truthfully speaking, at the end of 2023, I was in a funk. All right. I was in a dark place and I was dealing with depression like I had never seen before. All right. And quite honestly, I found it hard to show up <laughs> to be who I needed to be, you know, to be functional, especially when it came to my house and my husband. And I realized that I could not be who he needed me to be because I was dealing with my own issues. And that was taking me away from the relationship. So I coasted into the new year. I was I was numb. I questioned my marriage. I questioned my parenting. I even questioned the call of God on my life. Like, am I really called to do this? This ministry, this platform? Like, am I really supposed to be here? The mistake that I made was thinking that because I had overcome my past, that everything was supposed to be perfect now. So I ended up taking a break from everything. And I'll admit that I spent the first part of that break sulking, right? <laughs> I was feeling sorry for myself. I was questioning myself, you know, not God, but me. And in doing that, I distanced myself from God. And here's the thing. I never stopped going to church. I was at every Sunday morning service, every Wednesday night Bible study. You know, I had a good time in church, but when I got home, I didn't feel connected to God because I felt like I had failed him, you know, like I disappointed him. I got back into doing the things that I had stopped doing a long time ago because of my faith. And I justified it, you know, trying to convince myself that nothing was wrong with it because I wasn't hurting anybody. But I thank God that the seeds that I planted came back to harvest. My daughter, the one that I told you about, graduated and went to the military. Well, when she came back, she told me something's different about you. I knew exactly what she meant. <laughs> she didn't mean that in a good way. OK, y'all, she reminded me that I was the one that used to keep it all together and I would keep everybody on track when it came to living by faith in our house. She reminded me that when I'm off, the whole house is off. So this conversation was exactly what I needed to get me back on track. OK, because first off, getting scolded by your child is not a good look. OK, <laughs> and I felt like the child in that moment. But the word says what? And a child shall lead them. And in this case, she did. <laughs> but don't don't let it get. OK, so I began to do the work. And I hit the reset button and I started the process to take back my power and get control of my life, mind, body and soul. It started with the basics. The first thing I had to do was tend to my body, taking care of it, watching what I eat, getting enough exercise and enough sleep, going to the doctor, asking for help. <laughs> OK, getting checked out, following their advice. I even started counseling. We started couples counseling. And that led me to seeking individual counseling for my own issues. 
um, I started reading again. And even more important, I started journaling again. Remember, journaling is the way that I pray. I write my prayers and what I'm feeling. And it's a great way for me to vent and to release through all the work that I did and that I'm continuing to do, I find myself in a life class where I'm learning more lessons about life, about God and about myself. I'm supposed to be here. I'm called to do this. And God has equipped me with what I needed to get through this test and any other one that comes my way. If it was easy, what? Anybody could do it, <laughs> right? So this actually brings me to the topic we're supposed to be talking about today. This episode is all about grief. What I learned in my preparation for this episode is that what I was going through was also a form of grief. I know that when we hear the word grief, you know, we automatically associate that with death and with losing a loved one. But grief is an emotion of deep sorrow. And although it's normally associated with death, it can be experienced as a result of many things. For the most part, grief has to do with loss. You can grieve the end of a relationship or a friendship. You can grieve the loss or hope that you have for something that you were expecting, like a failed business that may have led to a new life. You can grieve a child that didn't survive a troubled pregnancy. As a parent, I myself have grieved the loss of my plans and my vision that I have for my kids based on some of the decisions that they made. Now, I would say that I've experienced grief and definitely a depression when all my kids left the house. That empty nest syndrome, that is something else. It is a real thing. You can also grieve the diagnosis of a disability or a terminal illness because you know that at the end, things will never be the same again. In the Bible, Job was an example of someone that grieved. In just one day, he lost his children and he lost his wealth. He dealt with sickness in his body and depression and wishing that he was never born. And even worse, his friends judged him and his wife turned on him. And she told him, why don't you just curse God and die? He had a reason to grieve. I think grief has to do with the end of a thing where there's not just a physical death, but the death of hope and faith and dreams and maybe even a shattered heart. You grieve what was or what could have been. The Bible also talks about how the spirit can be grieved by the things that we say and do. Grief is more than just sadness. You're not just feeling blue. It's a brokenness. It's a physical, spiritual pain that can manifest and affect your life in many ways. Grief can pull you into a depression where your emotional status can impact your physical status and keep you from being able to continue on with life as normal. The funny thing about grief is that it looks different in different people. The way one person grieves may not necessarily be the way another person grieves. Grief can also be connected with survivor's remorse. It can have you feeling guilty, thinking, what did I do wrong? What, what could I done different? Why didn't I see this coming? Why, didn't I, why wasn't I able to do anything to stop this? This is all my fault. Feelings of guilt and shame, regret and remorse, they're all connected with grief. It's important to work through your grief and in your own time. Now, when trauma happens, it affects you on different layers. It affects you in the physical and in your mind on an emotional or a mental level. It can also attack your spirit 
It's important that in the process of healing that you address all levels separately. What does that look like? Well, first, I cannot stress enough the importance of seeking out the help of a professional. Okay, find a grief counselor, find a therapist, find a pastor or somebody that has been trained to help you resolve those issues and get to the root of your problem and to move forward in a healthy. Now, y'all know how I feel about church. Okay, I love church, but in some cases it is not enough. It's only a piece of the puzzle and you have to do the work and tend to all the levels of your life that trauma has affected. As a coach, what I do is to help you establish your goals and help you to create a path in order to achieve them. My job is to get you to where you say you want to be. Now, the Bible says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And as with anything we're facing, we need the tools that will help us to deal with grief. So that's why I'm here today. I want to help you. I want to equip you with what you need to know when you or a loved one is dealing with grief. Now, besides the recent times that I've talked about earlier, I have dealt with grief a few times in my life. Um, one moment in particular that sticks out to me is the time that I dealt with the death of my father. My father was an amazing man. He literally was a hero. He was a firefighter. All right. And to me, he was the best dad in the whole world. <laughs> he was definitely a family man. He loved his family and I knew that he loved me. He was my best friend and my biggest cheerleader and a main source of emotional support for me. Now, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I want to say it was around 2014. And my dad was a big guy. You know, and I watched him go from this big guy who was a hero and saving people from fires. And as time goes by, I see him getting smaller and smaller as he began to lose weight from the chemo treatments. And he wasn't able to care for himself and, and he needed help in doing most of the smallest and most basic things. In all my years, I don't think that I've ever saw my dad cry until we were in the process of losing him. He was a big guy and he was full of pride and in a good way, you know, and to see him go down the way that he did, it was a lot. It was hard for him and it was hard on us, not just physically, but mentally as well, too. You know, he knew he was going down and he had to adjust to this new normal. This is called anticipatory grief. It deals with an expected loss. I was in the process of watching my dad go down. I think that I was facing some things that I was not ready to accept as truth yet. You know, I was in denial. Okay, first, I didn't believe he was going to die. I felt like it was just another hurdle, you know, that he would have to get over, you know, that he was going to make it out of this. And I had so many examples of people that I knew that had overcome their struggles with cancer and they lived to tell about it. And I thought I had prayed enough. I thought I had enough faith to turn it around that if I believed enough that the diagnosis would go away and that he would have been miraculously healed, you know, I just knew God was going to do it. And it's one thing to know that God is able and can do anything he wants to, but it's another thing to question, will he do it for me? Now, unfortunately, even after all of my prayers and after all the believing I did for a miracle, my dad did not survive. He died in September of 2015 from pancreatic cancer. You should know that disappointment can lead to struggles in your faith. 
I can remember the Sunday that I came back to church just a few days after his funeral. And it was October. So it was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And they had one of the members speaking about how she overcame her cancer diagnosis and how God healed her. And that was the last thing that I wanted to hear. Okay. It was almost like a slap in the face or like someone twisting a dagger in my heart. I couldn't understand why God chose to heal her, but not my dad. I heard someone say one time that there are times in life where we have to forgive God. And to me, that was heavy because, you know, I've never experienced getting mad at God or being in a place where I'm like, me and God ain't good. <laughs> you know, what I have experienced is, like I said earlier, I find that I have drifted away from God. Like when I turn from him, by the time I look back, it seems like he's not in the same place. But in reality, he's in the same place, but I drifted away. <laughs> I have moved from him. It's like going through this quiet rebellion, you know, where I haven't officially declared that we're not good, but my actions and behavior make it clear that something ain't right. Okay. And clearly I've chosen another path. I was mad at God and I didn't even realize it. So what did that look like? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I didn't want to read the word. I didn't want to watch any type of sermon or church on TV or YouTube. You know, I could watch short clips on social media, but it was hard for me to get into anything that was over a few minutes. I went to church out of obligation because I was supposed to do it. Right. I had a position in church and I went because others were depending on me. Right. And fasting and prayer and Bible study, self-paced Bible study. <laughs> they were hard. Like I couldn't do it. As I said before, I had started doing the things that I had stopped doing to honor God. There was drinking and my music choices and sometimes my words and my thoughts and even my actions. But nobody knew what I was going through on the inside because I knew how to dress it up on the outside. I kept it private because I worried about what the saints would say. I was saved on the outside, but a complete mess on the inside. Now, as I said before, grief is an internal pain. And in some cases, it cannot be soothed. And nothing you say or do is going to fix the problem. Because different people feel and express grief in different ways. There's many ways that people try to soothe themselves. Most are self-sabotaging. And they try to numb the pain. Most people, when they talk about grieving, only cover the fact that they lost somebody. But there's so many levels to that. No one really talks about the aftermath of that loss. I had to make changes in my life. I used to talk to my dad all the time on the phone, not being able to pick up the phone and call him when I got ready. It was something that I had to process. And I still catch myself to this day picking up the phone to call him and tell him what's going on. You know, I still struggle with this. Now, there are secondary effects of loss, okay? One of the biggest that I've seen in my line of work is that a lot of times when it's the husband that has passed away, the wife has lost her provider, she's lost a source of income, and a lot of times women are in a bad place because they depend on their husband to provide for them. And now that he's gone, they have to fend for themselves. They have to learn how to fend for themselves. Now, 
This is a good place for me to stress the importance of having a life insurance policy and a will and some sort of directive for how assets need to be divided and taking care of those final expenses. There's already enough pain when it comes to dealing with the loss of a loved one. But not having these things in place can add even more stress and even more drama to an already painful situation. Having your business in order ahead of time is going to be one of the biggest acts of love and care for those that are left behind. Now, besides loss of income, there is a death of the hopes and the dreams that you shared, the comfort of protection that you had. And dare I say it, your sanity. If you're the person that everyone leans and depends on, who do you have to lean and depend on? Also, speaking of a secondary loss, in my research, I found that dying of a broken heart, that is a real thing. It's called the broken heart syndrome. So basically, stress can take a toll on your body. We all know that. Your heart can begin to swell and it can beat faster and this can cause a heart attack. Now, people over the age of 65 are at an even greater risk of having this happen, like 21 times more likely. All right. That's why you see in some cases where an older person dies and then their spouse dies a day or so later. Um, I don't know if you remember. I can remember when the shooting happened at the U Uvalde Elementary School and one of the staff members of the school, she was killed. And it was reported that the next day her husband died. It's the same thing. He died of a broken heart. Grief can affect the body physically and not just in your mind. So again, there are secondary effects of loss on someone that's grieving. My dad was my best friend, right? He was my sounding board. He was my cheerleader, number one fan. You know, he always gave me the best advice and he loved me and I felt it. It was more than just knowing. As time went by, I realized that when I needed him, I didn't have him there to talk me through it, you know, whatever the it was. So the problems that I was facing affected me even worse because I didn't have him there to walk me through them. So I ended up falling into this deep depression. You know, it was like this pit of sadness that I couldn't get out of. I felt alone. I was lonely. Like I didn't have anybody in my corner. And I felt the effect of this for years. Now, normal grief doesn't cause someone to stop functioning. It's a normal level of sadness. It's one that can be expected. But you have to be careful not to fall into a dark place where you can't carry on with the normal everyday processes of life. Staying in bed all day, not being able to bathe yourself or properly groom yourself. All of that is signs that you're not functioning right. Deep sadness for a few days or, you know, a couple weeks or some months. Yeah, that's that's normal. That's normal grieving. But when it goes beyond that, like when you're not functioning for over a year, that is called complicated grieving. Grief can paralyze you. We all know that grief is a process, right? There's no time limit for how long a person will grieve or how long they should grieve. And for that matter, there's no limit for when a person should begin to grieve. I remember looking at a family member and thinking, now, how come they're not upset like the rest of us, right? How come they're not crying? <laughs> but as I said before, grief looks different on different people. 
The truth about death is that everybody is there for you until after the funeral. And that is where the real work begins. Life goes on, but we have to be sensitive, right? You have to get the right people in place. A good support system can make all the difference in the world, right? As a spouse, you are the one that's closest to them. You are anointed to be their help. And you got to know that you are equipped to do this. Now, most likely if the person that died was a family member or a close family friend, because you share your life with your spouse, you're feeling some of the effects of this as well, too. So how do you help your spouse to deal with their grief and tend to your own self at the same time? Well, first things first, you got to be OK for yourself. Right. That doesn't mean that you ignore or not take into consideration your spouse's feelings or their emotions. But before you tend to anybody else, you got to make sure that you're OK. Right. And you got to be in a place where you can tend to them. I would say you got to educate yourself on grief, know what to expect, know what it looks like or at least what to look for. Loss of appetite, decreased pleasure, trouble sleeping. Be on the lookout to see if your spouse is exhibiting any behaviors that can be self-harming. As I said before, a lot of times people will try to self-medicate. And if you're dealing with a spouse that has experienced trauma, you may already be familiar with this. You need to watch out for the things that are meant to help in that moment that become crutches. For instance, a lot of people may have trouble sleeping or maybe trouble with anxiety when they're grieving. You know, they may take a pill or something to help with that, but you have to be careful because they can develop an addiction or they may dive deeper into an addiction like with drugs or alcohol. And what they're trying to do is to fill the hole that this void left behind. Now, truthfully speaking, they may be hard to get along with, right? They may withdraw or want to isolate themselves and not in a healthy way. You know, that suppressing or masking your pain can make things much worse than they really are. And these are some of the things you have to look out for. Now, because of his past trauma, I know that death is a trigger for my husband, right? It hits him very hard. So I have to be on guard and watchful to make sure that he's all right when he's grieving. You know, I make sure that he's eating and taking his medication. I talk with him. I pray with him. You know, I watch him to make sure that he doesn't overdo it with these coping mechanisms. Right. Oh, and can I tell you about this secret weapon that I found that will help you to minister to your husband? All right. And it's not just for when they're going through grief, but in all things. Come, come a little closer. Come here. Let me tell you what it is. Let me bless you with this. All right. S. X. <laughs> yeah. Sex. <laughs> there are some things that only you can do as his wife. Okay. And this is one of them. All right. Let that bless you. <laughs> there's a chemical released in sex and it helps to calm or soothe. And there's like this whole technical term and explanation for it. But I don't know all of that. Okay. All I can tell you is minister to your husband. Okay. That will help him in more ways than one. All right. You're welcome for that. Okay. <laughs> All right. High five to him. <laughs> and another random fact. Did you know that tears are a natural painkiller? Like there are some hormones that are released when you cry and it helps to soothe your pain. 
This could be why in some cases you feel better after a good cry, right? <laughs> That's just random information. Some things that I learned, you know? Okay, so back to grief. All right. One thing you should know about grief is that there are different stages of grief. Now, these stages are not progressive, like you don't do one and then move on to the next one and so forth. That's not how it works. All right. They don't go in order. Some of them you may not experience at all. All right. Again, grief looks different in different people. Right. So denial is the first stage of grief. Now, I saw that in my own situation where I didn't believe my father was going to die. I just knew that God would heal him, but he didn't, which leads to the next stage, which is anger. Sometimes we can be mad at the person that passed away. We can be mad at the situation. We can be mad at ourselves and we can even be mad at God. And that's just the reality of the situation. Now, another stage of grief is bargaining. All right. And what this looks like is you would say, if only I would have just you fill in the blank, then they would still be here. Or maybe if I hadn't fill in the blank again, they would still be here. You know, now we see this example in the story of David in the Bible. And God tells David that because of David's sin, his child was going to die. He wasn't going to make it after birth. And so David begins mourning and he goes and he sits, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink anything, he doesn't associate. He sits in this room by himself all day. He tears his clothes, he puts ashes on his head. Basically, he's mourning, he's getting, trying to get God to change his mind. But when God doesn't change his mind and the baby dies like he said he would, David gets up, he changes his clothes, he cleans himself up and then he ate. And although I know he was disappointed, he made a decision not to sit in his grief and in his pain. The next stage of grief is depression, which is, again, it's a deep sadness. Most times depression doesn't stay in your mind. It affects everything around you, especially your relationship with others. The last stage of grief is acceptance, and that is coming to terms with the new normal. That's life after the loss. So again, what can you do to help somebody with grief? The first thing you got to do is get back to basics. Just like I said earlier, this is going to include your nutrition, your exercise and sleep. Go for a walk together. Use that time to talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about. This usually helps to bring you closer and to strengthen your bond with each other. I've said this before, your words are seeds. Now, having said that, there are certain things that you do not want to say, all right? Be sure to avoid phrases like, stay strong, don't cry, it'll get better, I know how you feel. Now, the only time you can say, I know how you feel is if you really do understand and you've experienced the same type of loss and you actually do know how they feel. But if you don't know, if you haven't experienced it, don't say that. Another thing I would suggest is that you don't ask them how they're doing, how you think they're doing, right? They're grieving. Now, although these statements, you know, they're well-meaning and you just lack something better to say, they really can cause more harm than they do good. Another thing I would suggest doing is talking about the person that passed away. Say their name, reminisce with them. Don't act like it didn't happen. Let them know that they're not alone, but follow their lead and let them move in their own time. Don't try to force your way. 
Don't try to make them face their reality, right? You got to let them do things in their own time. Do the little things that are required. If you see something that needs to be done, go on and do it. Don't wait for them to ask for your help. You can also take the time and cook for them or cook with them. If they're up to it, make it a date night. Go out and get something to eat. Really, it's all about spending time with them. You're connecting with them. You're making them socialize. And you're also making sure that they're satisfying a need. You know, isolation can lead to a lot of other problems, but by spending time with them, you actually help to keep their mind busy and keeps them from wandering. Sleep is also important. They got to get enough rest. And I already told you, I just told you the secret to get them in bed, right? <laughs> so, so let that work for you. Okay. <laughs> the whole thing is about keeping them active and doing what they love to do or doing the things that they find pleasure in. It's all about connection. Remember, you have a unique position as the wife. Like I've said many times in the past, it is not your job to fix them, but you do play an important role in the process. One of the most important things that you can do is to encourage them to seek professional help. A grief counselor, a support group, a pastor, you know, encourage them to reach out and find these resources. And ladies, pray with them. Pray for your husband and pray with them as well. Study the word together. You got to keep them active and social. Go on a double date. Get with some friends and also serve. Stepping out of yourself and helping others is actual healing in itself. Now. I have an unpopular opinion, okay? I do not agree with the saying that it's okay to not be okay. All right, I don't believe that, right? So I've been in a place where I was not okay. And let me tell you, it is dangerous. It's dangerous. Yes, I understand that it's common and that we all have to face our feelings, but it is unhealthy to sit in that. The longer you stay in it, the harder it's going to be to come out. So, yes, definitely identify and acknowledge what you're going through, but don't stay there. All right. Talk to somebody, get some help, do the work so that you can come out of it. All right. Don't sit in it. That is my rule. Do not sit in it. Do the work to get out of it. All right. That's my little PSA for now. All right. So that brings me to the coaching corner for today. All right. I love journaling. You all know this. All right. Being able to write down my thoughts and my feelings is so liberating to me. Right. And it helps me release pain and hurt and all these other emotions that I may be dealing with. So what I want you to do today is to write a letter to the person or to the thing or the situation that you're grieving. Tell them all the things that you would have told them in a text or in a phone call or in a conversation face to face. Tell them how you're doing right now. Maybe how you're feeling. What have you been thinking? Tell them the impact that their loss has had on you. Are you mad? Are you sad? Tell them all about it. Release it. <laughs> Once you do that, then I want you to write a letter to yourself that is from them. How would they respond to your letter? What would they say about what you told them or your situation? What advice would they give you? Would they, would they be proud of you? What would they want you to do? What would they want you to change? Sometimes healing comes in the words or the things that we wanted to say or hear, but did not get a chance to. This is your chance to get that. 
I want you to take your time with this exercise. And if you need to do this with more than one person or more than one situation, then by all means, please repeat it and be honest with yourself. And if you find that you still have some unresolved issues, I want you to talk to somebody and allow them to help to walk you through the process. Well, you guys, that is my time for today. Be sure to stay tuned in because we are doing some great things in this season. Okay. One of the things I want you to put on your calendar is that in the month of March, we are doing a 30 day challenge. Yes, there's 31 days in March, but we're doing 30 days of <laughs> challenge. We can use the last day to relax and give God glory. All right. But anyway, we're doing a 30 day challenge. We're going to reset our life. We're going to take charge of our bodies, our mind and our spirit, and we're going to get closer to God. And I'm going to be introducing our community so that we can connect with each other and encourage and empower and lift one another up, right? There is power in community. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, that's it for now, guys. We will see you next week. But in the meantime, I want you to be encouraged, be empowered and be blessed. Peace, y'all.